the tribulation. Our world today sounds quite a bit like the world of Noah's day, doesn't it? Adults love violence. The highest rated TV programs are those with the most violence in them. Kids love violence. The computer games they play are all about killing and mayhem. Our world has become much like what Christ said it would be like in the days before his return to earth the second time to establish his kingdom. We're glad to have you with us in class today. Verse by Verse is a daily radio Bible class led by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Steve brings us the third and final part of his message on the time of Christ's return. These studies are taken from the Olivet Discourse Jesus gave in Matthew 24. His disciples had asked him to tell them when he would return to set up his kingdom. They didn't understand then that Jesus was talking about the end of the age, a seven-year period known as the Great Tribulation. They had expected him to overthrow the Roman Empire right away. Open your Bible, if you can, to Matthew 24, verse 37. Pastor Steve will begin there and then take us to Genesis 6 to see what life was like back in the days of Noah. Here is Pastor Steve. So I want to warn you as my beloved flock, don't pay attention to anyone who tells you that they've figured out when Jesus is returning because they haven't. They don't know. Not only are they wrong, but it isn't helpful to you. It isn't edifying to you. In the past, this kind of stuff of date setting has only brought disillusionment to those believers who have embraced it. I've lived through the time where people, Christians, got very excited as 1988 arrived. As I've told you before, there was a booklet that said, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Returning in 1988. I was pastor here at this time, and there were people who I thought were more mature than they really were who embraced this, gullible, naive. And, and after 1988 came and went, they, they were terribly disappointed. People tend to get very excited about this only to be confused and hurt and disappointed and wondering what, what's going on when that day comes and it goes and Christ isn't here. But not only that, date setting always makes Christians look just like a bunch of religious quacks to the unsaved. They look at us and they say, they're nuts. And I understand that we come across like that when you start setting dates. So don't waste your time. Don't waste your energy in pursuing any dates for the Lord's return because no one knows the day and hour when he's coming back. And listen, don't fall for this, as some have said, well, we might not know the precise day and hour, but we can figure out the month. He's coming back in October because that's when the Jewish feasts are, and it must be the... Listen, Jesus said very clearly, you can't figure it out. You don't know. And what he meant is you don't know anything about the time except that it's going to closely follow the signs of the tribulation. So don't let anybody seduce you into thinking that, well, not the precise hour, but we can know the general season. We can, that, that goes beyond what Jesus is saying. That, that violates what he's saying. Now, even though we can see the wisdom in God not revealing the day of Christ's return to Christians who will be alive during the tribulation, you may wonder why God will withhold this information from non-Christians, from non-Christians living at that time. And that is a legitimate question. But let me, before I say that, let me, let me back up and say, say this, in case somebody tells you that they do know the, 
the day. Listen, Jesus said that not even the angels who are around the throne of God know when Christ is coming back. You think some mere individual on earth is going to figure this all out when angels don't even know this? It's nonsense. So let me leave that subject and move on. Why, though, why, though, wouldn't the Lord reveal to non-Christians living at that time when he's returning? Because after all, it sounds reasonable to assume that if non-Christians alive at that time knew, only knew when Jesus was coming back, they'd, they'd make sure that they were saved before it was too late. Well, that may sound reasonable to us, but that is not the way it's going to be during the tribulation. That's not the way salvation works with people because that will not be the attitude of the vast majority of non-Christians living at that time. See, even though the, the unsaved will witness all the signs pointing to the nearness of Christ's return, frankly, it won't make a bit of difference to them at all. How do we know this? Because as Jesus continues explaining to his disciples about the time of his return, he proceeds to tell them what life will be like and the attitude that will prevail among non-Christians in the days leading up to his return. Look at verses 37 through 39. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. The Lord compares the days before his return with the days just prior to the flood, the days of, of Noah. His point being that the same attitude, folks, of complacency that prevailed just before God sent the judgment of the flood is going to characterize the world of unbelievers just before he returns in judgment. It will be the same attitude. Now, according to Genesis 6, let's go to Genesis 6. And let's see, what, what was life like back then? According to Genesis 6, we are told that, that God sent the flood because the earth was filled with the wickedness of man. Genesis 6, starting at verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals, to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I'm sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So we read here that man was wicked continuously, unsaved people. Only Noah and his family would appear to have been believers. But then notice verses 11 through 13. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God and the earth was filled with violence. God looked at the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. So we read here that while man was continuously wicked, rebellious, disregarding God's revelation, we read that the dominant characteristic of that wicked world was violence. 
a violent world. So in judgment, God says that he's going to wipe out all the inhabitants of the earth except Noah and his family. But what Genesis does not tell us is that while Noah was assigned to build the ark, the ark that would save him and his family and the animals that would enter in, he was also preaching about the coming judgment. Now, we don't know this from Genesis, but we do know this from 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. It refers to Noah as a preacher of righteousness, which means that while he was constructing that ark, he was also preaching. He was calling the people of his day to repent of their unrighteousness by telling them about the coming flood that God was going to send to the earth because of their sin. And Genesis 6, 3 tells us that this striving with men through the preaching of Noah doesn't exactly say through the preaching of Noah, but you have to put that together with what Second Peter says. It's the striving of, of men. It means through the preaching of Noah lasted 120 years, 120 years. And what was the response of the people who heard Noah preach about judgment that was coming? He preached for 120 years. Jesus said that the people of that day were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. In other words, they didn't care what Noah had to say. They just continued living their lives as if nothing bad was about to happen. It was business as usual. For 120 years, this man is preaching and not one person responds in the affirmative. See, when Jesus says that they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, he's not pointing out that they were living morally gross lives. Now, they may very well have been. They probably were, but that's not the point here. He's not condemning them for gluttony, drunkenness, or fornication. He simply means that the people of his day continued with their normal routines. You got to eat, you got to drink, and people got married. It was life as usual. So the Lord's point is this. Nobody took Noah seriously. They were all indifferent. For 120 years, he called the people of his generation to repentance in light of the soon coming judgment of the flood. And not one person expressed any interest in what Noah had to say. They just continued living their lives as if they had nothing to be concerned about. And that's the way Jesus said it's going to be with the majority of the unsaved people during the tribulation. Now, as we've seen in in previous studies, there will be many people who will be saved during the tribulation. There will be many people. The Lord is not contradicting himself here. What he is saying, though, is that the majority of society, the overwhelming vast majority of society, in spite of the fact that some will repent and believe, they won't care. Most people won't care. They're going to live out their lives carrying on their normal daily activities just like they did before the tribulation. Now, we understand that there will be a lot of catastrophes going on. So in some sense, there'll be limitations, but not in every sense. It'll it'll be life as normal. So what will life be like for non-Christians during those days? Well, they're going to eat, Jesus said. They're going to drink. They're going to get married. They're going to have parties. I'm going to assume that sporting events will take place. People will still Go to football games and soccer games and basketball, baseball around the world, rugby and cricket. There'll be people running marathons. 
There'll be people exercising. They'll be going to their spas, their gyms. People will be going to work each day. Students will still continue pursuing their educational degrees. TV shows will still be produced. They'll be watched by audiences. People will still go to movies. They'll eat out at restaurants. They'll gather together with family and friends. There'll be marriages taking place. There'll be that, that stuff will just continue. There'll be grandparents who will be thrilled to see their grandchildren and vice versa. It will be life as normal, just like the days prior to the flood. And just as it is today, non-Christians at that time, no doubt, will look down upon and ridicule Christians for preaching that Jesus is coming soon and proclaiming that all of these world events are going to lead to a second coming. I'm going to assume that they'll say of Christians, they'll mock them as prophets of doom. They're, they're narrow-minded. They're just negative. No doubt Noah was mocked and laughed at. Looked down upon for being a fool, for building a boat to protect him and his family from rains and a flood. When the people of that day, do you realize, had never seen rain? We believe from the early chapters of Genesis that before the flood, there was a canopy vapor that covered the earth. And that's why the earth received uh, moisture to continue life. So they had never seen rain. They had never seen a flood. They didn't know what they had never experienced any natural catastrophe. And here's Noah talking about this. They must have thought he was a crazy man building an ark to protect him and his family from rain falling from the sky, whatever that is. But one day, all of their business as usual came to a sudden halt because just as Noah predicted, the flood did come. And as Jesus says in verse 39, it took them all away, meaning that when the flood came, it took all of the unsaved people, which was really everyone, but Noah and his family away in judgment into an eternity separated from God. They had every opportunity to repent for 120 years, but they didn't. And then it ended. That's the way Jesus said that it's going to be when he comes back and he returns to the earth. Notice the end of verse 39. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Listen, Jesus tells us that not only will the days prior to his return be just like the days of Noah in terms of people being apathetic and, and indifferent about the signs pointing to his coming, but they'll also be like the generation of Noah's day in that they'll also be unexpectedly and suddenly carried off to judgment to a Christless eternity. And it is this unexpected and sudden coming of his that takes people away in judgment and leaves others behind that the Lord proceeded to tell his disciples about in the next two verses. This is just really an illustration of what it will be like. Verses 40 and 41. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Contrary to what many people think, these verses are not a reference to the rapture at all. They're not a reference to the rapture. They may sound like the rapture because they use language that's similar. They speak of one being taken and one being left behind. But this has absolutely nothing to do with the rapture of the church and unbelievers left behind. Now, why do I say this? Because the context of our Lord's words, the context is the similarity, the parallel between the judgment that took place 
in the days of the flood and the judgment that will take place when he returns. He's talking about judgment. Now, in following that similarity, that parallel between Noah's day and the days of the tribulation, we see then what the Lord is simply saying is this, that just as the coming of the flood took people away in judgment and left Noah and his family safely behind on the earth, so his coming will carry unbelievers off into judgment while leaving believers on the earth to enter his kingdom. This judgment is later explained at the end of Matthew chapter 25. It's what is commonly known as the judgment of the sheep and the goats. Some are carried off to judgment. Some remain and inherit the kingdom. See, these verses cannot be referring to the rapture because that comparison would not fit at all the days of Noah. You see, in Noah's day, the godly remained on the earth, Noah and his family, while the ungodly were taken off the earth in judgment. In the rapture, it is just the opposite. It is the godly who are taken away, the church, and the ungodly remain to go through the judgment of the tribulation. So the parallel doesn't, doesn't fit if you see the rapture here. It's not talking about the rapture. I think we need to be careful that we don't miss Christ's point. In the, in the midst of trying to figure out all these details and issues of what Jesus is talking about here, it is easy to lose sight of the primary point that he is making, which is, in light of the fact that no one knows the precise time when he's returning, he's telling us, then, don't be like the people of Noah's day. Be ready. Be ready. Those folks also didn't know the day that judgment would strike, so they lived their lives as if judgment would never strike. And judgment came suddenly, and they were carried off. In fact, this is the application of this in verse 42. Therefore, be on the alert, for you don't know which day your Lord is coming. Now, I don't believe that the church is going to go through the tribulation. I believe that the church will be raptured before. So there are several ways of applying this. First of all, you need to be ready for the rapture of the church, the snatching away of the church. You need to be ready. How do you get ready? You repent of your sin. You trust Christ as the one who died on the cross, paying the price for sinners like you, paying the price of our sin. You're ready because if Christ were to rapture us today and you are not ready, you will enter the tribulation. You will enter the horrible time of the tribulation And in that time period, you will not know the precise time that Jesus will return in judgment. And you'll hear those same words then. Be ready. Be ready. So I said, how do you get ready? You repent and you believe the gospel. And you escape the wrath to come. You don't know when the rapture will take place. You don't know when the second coming will take place. So always be ready. And if you already are a believer in Christ, then don't get caught up in date setting. It'll just get you sidetracked and disillusioned and enthused about something that nobody knows about but the Father. However, always be ready. As believers, we are always to be ready. How do we get ready? We live godly and obedient lives so that you would Not be embarrassed or ashamed to be in the Lord's presence in the next instant. That's how you're ready. 
have you made sure you've repented of your sin? Make sure you've repented of anything that that you know is is wrong. Repentance means you confess your sin and you turn from it. You don't confess it with an attitude, well, I'm going to do it again anyway. That's not repentance. Make sure you're right with the Lord. If he came back before we closed the service, would you be embarrassed to be in his presence? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have revealed all that we need to know. You haven't revealed everything. Thank you, Lord. We don't know when the rapture will come. We don't know when the return of Christ will be. But we are grateful that you've given us as much information as you have. That information to, to motivate us to live godly before you. Lord, you could come at any moment to help us to not be ashamed or embarrassed at your coming. I do pray for those who still don't know you. I pray that you'll draw them to yourself. I pray that you will convict them deeply of their sin. And may they come running to you to escape the wrath to come. May they flee the wrath to come into the arms of Christ, believing that his atonement was for them. I also pray, Lord, for those of us who really do know you. Help us to not simply store information and make sure that we have end time events all uh, in a in a neat theological order. Help us to make sure that we are motivated by the truth of your coming to live godly before you. As we await your return, Lord, the rapture for us, I pray that you help us to be diligent, not like some of the Thessalonians. Help us to be diligent. Help us to end well. Help us to cross that finish line into your arms, being busy doing your work. That's why you said not to grow weary in well-doing. So, Lord, help us. Help us to pursue godliness with an attitude that says, even so, come Lord Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve, for these great Bible studies about the time of Christ's return. I know they have cleared up many questions our listeners may have had. You can listen again to this study by going to our website, versebyverseradio.org. If you missed any of the classes up to this point, you can download them to use at a later time or stream them directly. We still have one message remaining in this series from Matthew 24. It's entitled, Ready for Christ's Return, and deals with spiritual procrastination that is evident today, just as it will be before the second coming of Christ. Be sure to be here. Lakeside Community Chapel is a family-friendly church located at 1893 Sunset Point Road, Clearwater, Florida. If you are looking for a church home, we invite you to visit the church for a service and check us out. The church's phone number is 727-441-1714. Call during business hours to check on service times. Pastor Steve would love to meet you. The church also has a great K-12 Christian school where students get a Christian worldview. That chapel phone number again is 727-441-1714. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry. If the Lord so moves you, would you consider becoming a prayer and support partner? It would be a great blessing if you would do that. The phone number for Verse by Verse Ministries is 727-239-0306. Our mailing address is Verse by Verse Ministries, 
P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. That's Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. Our email address is contact at versebyverseradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm your announcer, Jerry Pruden. See you next time on Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. We don't always miss God's work in our lives because we don't see it. Sometimes we do see it, but we focus on one aspect and thereby miss the bigger picture. Consider Jesus turning water into wine in John 2. Most of the time we think of the amazing work of Jesus turning water into wine. But a closer look at the Old Testament reveals that wine was often used by God 